0: It's Nishitani. Today's podcast is with John Murphy. John started a company called Lettuce Evolve, which should be praised for the pun alone. But uh, what John has done and why he is so important for Oya is he's made aquaponic gardening an accessible, minimal effort endeavor. His helix uh, vertical garden can be put in the corner of a room. So John's taken this old world method and new tech and made it accessible for people living anywhere to be able to use to get healthy, nutritious food. I was quite humbled hearing John's uh, life story and what he's accomplished, and I'm sure you will be too. So I hope John inspires you to realize that no matter what life gives you, you can overcome it and accomplish great things. Enjoy the podcast, everyone hello john welcome to oia's podcast thanks for having me yeah thanks for being here man um we're really excited to talk to you uh love what you are doing um and i know nobody else here knows exactly what you're doing so uh just let's start off and tell us who you are and what you do
1: uh my name is john murphy i'm a uh sustainable product developer and designer um, I've got a company called Let Us Evolve, and we design and build uh, vertical gardens and help people grow fresh fruit in their homes.
0: Cool. So I'm, and the, the vertical gardening industry is getting bigger. I know there's multiple companies out there that are doing these like pods and plug it in, just put water, put a pod in, grow your vegetables. Um, what approach uh, did you take to it that's different than what a lot of these guys here are doing? Yeah. Um, well, I guess
1: uh the different approach was is uh, according to a lot of sources, we were the originator in this space as far as like the standalone vertical aquaponic system. Um, I started back in two thousand and eight uh, when I first designed my my very first vertical garden,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then um you know, branched it out in the different areas, but my focus was was to actually be able to grow a full garden in my space in my home uh, without soil and being surrounded by concrete on all sides. And from that, that led me, you know, down this long rabbit hole, which has been, what, 14, 15
0: years now um, since I first got into it. Wow. So aquaponica. So, yeah, that's that's different already than most of these uh, vertical gardens. You said you don't need soil for it. Can you explain more on that? Yeah. So
1: um, instead of using soil, we have uh, these rocks inside the system that basically they operate as a a placeholder for the roots to grow onto and uh, the water passes through them and um, without soil you have less pest problems um, and we recirculate our water inside the system and aquaponics uses fish so the fish are the source of the fertilizer so now you've got a self-fertilizing garden um, that grows lots of food and uh, in our experience the the plants grow up to three times faster because they're not having to use energy to go look for nutrients in the soil by growing out a huge root system. Mm. And Instead, all those nutrients are delivered right to the roots. So the plant can spend more time and energy on fruit production and crop production, you know, things that you would eat because it's got them all right there at the
0: root. Fascinating. So the fish, I mean, it's the fish poop that provides the, the nutrients for the plant, I assume
1: yeah that's that is the bare bones aquaponics system is uh is using fish um aquaponics is a hydroponic system natively but instead of in hydroponics where you're bringing a fertilizer from outside and putting it into the water although it's like a powder or, or a liquid mm-hmm. uh, we use the fish and the fish waste is what fertilizes the plants and then we go a step further and encourage people to put uh, worms inside the grow pots that we have, and those worms will break down the fish solids and release more nutrients to the system. And so you're getting another layer of that ecosystem that would be found in nature.
0: Okay. So I have a question, like scientific question, of what actual nutrients come from the the fish waste. Um, because like people would say, you know, like I get my normal NPKs from my fertilizer. I get, you know, whatever other nutrients and I balance it out by planting things next to each other. Like if, uh, beans take a lot of nitrogen, I put another, you know, nitrogen kind of deficient one next to that. What, how, how, what's the, what's the difference there between like using a fertilizer and the fish?
1: So like you said, NPK, um, those are only three vitamins and nutrients, you know, um, we rely heavily on the fish food that goes into the system so we tend to source uh, organic um you know very clean type fish foods that we can feed that have trace minerals in them um and then at that point we're not just feeding the plants mpk because mpk nitrogen phosphorus and potassium um only makes the plant look big and pretty and healthy but it doesn't mean that it actually has nutrients it doesn't mean that it's, it's actually nutrient rich for you it just looks pretty you know it's like the the supermodel vegetable you know and it there's not a lot of substance to it you know um when it comes to that and so you know the stuff you buy at the store a lot of times that's all that's in it is because that's all they care about is, is selling the pretty item you know not what it does to you after the sale
0: interesting so how how deficient are these supermodel i mean almost no i mean it's a good analogy because supermodels are generally pretty skinny and unhealthy um and they uh, they admit to that that is no stereotype
1: like as far yeah. as you know, that they admit to that <laughs> yeah
0: yeah so how how what what is the i don't know if you can give exacts on this or can maybe give an analogy to to compare it but how much nutrients am I missing out on in this really pretty supermarket stuff as compared to something from, let's say, your your aquaponic garden? So, you know,
1: over time, all these nutrients and minerals have been stripped out of the soil from commercial farming, and they don't replenish that. They don't rotate crops. They don't bring that stuff back into the soil. Um, and so there's there's a full spectrum. I mean, um. You know, people go back and forth on how many trace minerals there are, but 72 kind of is the, the roundabout number that people agree on. Like when you look at like pink salt from the Himalayas and stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
1: 72 trace minerals. And these are like things that you need very small micro doses of, you know, that you would never notice um, on a scale or anything. But they're there and they're in natural soils that haven't been uh, altered, you know, and over farmed and overproduced. And so when we supplement those things back into the system through fish feed and, uh, you know, there's there's other things you can do. I mean, you can add minerals to your garden, you know, like magnesium and calcium and stuff like that, iron. I mean, you can do that. I mean, it's just like taking a supplement for your body, you know. Right. Um, And those things help, you know. But the simplest way for the traditional farmer that's going to be doing this at their home that's new to this is to have a really high quality fish food, you know, that has those things in it. And then when the fish eat it you know they secrete it and it goes into the rocks and the rocks hold on to that and not all of that is readily available um, for the plants um depending on like your oxygen levels in the system and the aeration and um the way the water moves through it and so that's why we say like we encourage putting worms in there because the worms help break that stuff down and um you talk to any old school farmer they'll say the bigger your worms the bigger your plants are you know and uh and we, we've done that. I mean, I've actually done tests where I've run systems fully on worms before um, without fish inside of them. And we've had, you know, decent results, but the fish definitely uh, power it, you know, because the, the worms still have to have something to feed on. Um, you can't kind of do like a hybrid vermicomposting type of aquaponic system, you know, that we experimented with before. Just right. to see, you know.
0: Oh, fascinating. So it, it is fascinating, <laughs> extremely <laughs> Like it, it's just fascinating to me how um, astray we've gone uh, just for scalability, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just this in, industrialization—I don't know if you want to call it that—of since the Haber Bosch process and just like scaling to scale agriculture, um, and it's
1: then just yeah,
0: right, and then the technology just made us sacrifice all of these things, and then it became an arms race and pretty vegetables.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, pretty sells. Perfect. You know, there's so many documentaries and uh, food movements about buying the ugly produce. You know, buy the produce that has a bruise on it or isn't, you know, as round or as bright or what. I mean, it's because I, I read a statistic one time. I don't know if this is accurate at all, and I can't even tell you where I saw it. But somebody said like up to two thirds of produce is wasted because it's not pretty enough to go to the market. You know, and and so at that point, they're lucky to sell it to a you know, a subpar uh, price vendor that will then go and take all their bad oranges and turn it into orange juice and a concentrate, you know? And, and so it's like a second tier, you know, second level uh, processing. You don't get the first tier dollar anymore because it wasn't pretty enough. You know. Wow. Wow. Yeah.
0: wow. Like lettuces, Crazy. you know, your lettuce
1: wasn't pretty. So then instead of selling the full head on the shelf, now they're going to sell it in a bag and it's chopped up and you never see how ugly it was, you know? Yeah wow but that's a that's a cut rate dollar you know you don't get the premium dollar for sending it to the bag lettuce person you get the most for putting it on the shelf you know and
0: uh yeah that's insane that is insane (laughs) i mean i i don't know what to blame it like uh the aesthetic side of it because you know before like before things were commodified and you just like pumped out this you would have um I, I lived in I've lived in quite a few other countries. Um and I lived in, in Turkey for a long time. Uh and every Sunday I would go down to the local market there with all the people selling their fruits and vegetables and you know whatnot. And you would see women walking up and they would, you know, haggle with the guy of like, this one doesn't look as good. I want a lower <laughs> price for it. Yeah. And that's what they're going on because they don't, you know, they don't know, but they they would actually That was part of the haggling process to get the price lowered. Yeah. Uh, you know, and she would take she would take that because she knew it was just as the tasted just as good and whatever, you know, everything to her. But that was part of it. And then the commodification also put this like, you can't have different types of these, they all have to look the same. So then it like bumped up this whole aesthetic value. So I don't know. It's it seems like a push and pull from both the bottom up of the shopper from even back then to, you know, to what price you get for it to this whole, like, now that all has to be like that or else, you know, it's, it,
1: this is a very interesting point you bring up because um, when you start putting gardens and homes of people that aren't used to seeing ugly produce, they start thinking the food that they're growing isn't as good because they've never seen it look like that. Okay. And this is something that I've had to educate customers on. They're like, well, Hey, my tomato has a blemish on it. Well, if you walk outside and look at the tree in front of your house, all the flowers or the acorns or whatever, the nuts, like, there's, there's blemishes on them, you know? And guess what? There's leaves that fall year-round off of that tree, even though it's perfectly healthy, you know? And there's, like, people are just so used to seeing perfection in the supermarket that they... Yeah almost get insecure when they grow their own food because they don't think it's right and i've I've had to have several conversations about this of like no your plants okay it just hasn't been weeded out and selected to be the prettiest one on the shelf, you know yeah
0: okay we're talking about tomatoes (laughs) or peppers right right you're not you know, are you entering these in a contest or you know like, yeah yeah i mean <laughs> what, are <you> worried about?
1: <laughs> what am i thinking of the movie with the pig you know uh and the spider you know like like <laughs> charlotte's web there you go yeah i can yeah. remember yeah just like like a livestock competition you know like here you go like this is my prized tomato no you're growing it to eat you know <laughs> yeah exactly that's funny and, so, and people don't realize like how many blemished or bad, you know, looking vegetables it took to get the one pretty one that you're buying. <laughs> so it is, it's is—it's funny you bring that up.
0: Yeah, no, kind of all the waste that goes into this. So you've pretty much made it uh, a product that people could just have the same amount of effort into it as, would you. Is it, tell me if this is accurate, the same amount of effort as just like feeding fish every day like you would if you had pet fish
1: that that's the intention right like that's that's the goal um and we've done that i mean i've i've kind of i think i even covered that in the documentary that um i tend to neglect my gardens i set them up and just walk away a lot of times because i i want to set it up like a normal person would do it not an expert i want to make sure that it works at the end of the day um as long as you've got water flowing you don't have a clog anywhere um, and you feed your fish and 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 you got your lights set right and and things i mean you you do the initial setup the the unit will produce food um there are other environmental factors you know um, sometimes you get bugs on the systems because they're natural plants you know and that's something you have to monitor and pay attention to um that is you know the side of indoor gardening that nobody likes to talk about because we all like to think it's just this super easy process but you know you do have natural pests you have to deal with sometimes you know um i had a customer put one next to a window and they started getting aphids on their plants and they had mm-hmm. the window open all the time and i asked them so well do you have a window nearby that's open they said yeah says so there's a screen on it they said no and I go look I said, look out front, do you have any bushes or anything? They say, Yeah, the bushes all around my window. Well, go see if those same bugs are on those plants. And they did, and they were just coming into the house, you know. And yeah. so I mean, it's just little things that people don't think about, you know. But we try and come up with natural solutions for that and uh organic, you know, pest sprays and stuff like neem oil and things. And
0: mm-hmm. um do you ever encourage people to like you know do what a classic gardener would do like plant some marigolds next to the cucumbers or plant some nasturtiums yeah. or garlic there and you know
1: absolutely and that's a good point too the uh, companion planting um, yeah things like that really help um, and we've had pretty good success and like like house cats I mean house cats are a, a natural pest right <laughs> like right. You can call it a cat and um, cats love eating plants. Um, and so one way to deter them is to put mint around the bottom of the, the garden. So the lowest grow pot, put mints and uh, things like that in there and spearmint, peppermint, different types of whatever you want. And that will typically deter them from eating the other plants in the garden. Mm-hmm. So
0: so what is there any um, particular vegetable or fruit? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking obviously like squash and melons and stuff like the big boys um, that you can't grow on on your gardens
1: we've actually grown those in the garden really um yeah and uh watermelons we actually trellis them up to where they look like little you know uh bowling balls hanging from the air you know they're like little 10 12 pound watermelons that we grew um sometimes you know indoors uh lighting can be an issue sometimes with that kind of stuff uh, getting enough light to them and then uh you know typically if we see any nutrient deficiencies in the garden we just add another fish or two hmm. and and you know more poop equals more nutrients which if you're growing plants like squash and watermelons you need more power you know you need more nutrition in there and uh as far as fish go we typically use you know goldfish something that's really simple readily available hmm. and they're pretty hardy uh they take um you know they take a they got a lot of tolerance for user error i guess is a nice way to put it you know <laughs> um, they can deal with water changes and people that haven't you know raised fish as much and uh, right. strong fish but they they poop a lot you know and so they provide a lot of nutrients and uh um that's just kind of how it works i mean I, i'm always a big advocate of less fish is better like, i don't like killing fish so you know you uh-huh you put less in there and and say your plants too, we typically say start out with 10 to 15 goldfish in there. And if you end up ramping up the system and you have a ton of uh, nutrient bearing plants, like fruit fruiting crops, like tomatoes and peppers and squashes and things like that, they're going to require more nutrients than leafy greens and herbs will. Um, mm-hmm. So you kind of just get a feel for it and your system's doing good. And if you see any deficiencies in your plants, we'll throw a couple more goldfish in and let's see where we are in a couple weeks and, Keep going, you know, that's the simple way of doing it. I mean, you can get way more technical with it and measure the water and figure out all your nutrient profiles. And we do, you know, we have some mineral supplements available, like, like I said, like the magnesium, calcium, stuff like that, iron, Mm -hmm. you know, just simple things. Uh, Seaweed extract is a huge thing. Um, I love seaweed extract. If you ever have any issues, you just put liquid seaweed extract in the system. And it's kind of a cure all just blended. Seaweed has, you know, minerals and stuff in it
0: interesting can you talk more about that i haven't actually heard of that before
1: yeah i mean it's it's you know if you find a a good one which there's several available it's just blended up seaweed but um it's got a lot of different you know deep earthy green things in it that just Mm -hmm. plants love and um it's really good with plant shock so like whenever you're setting up a new system you can run the system on seaweed extract for i mean as long as you want, really, you're not going to hurt the system, but like for the first week or so, it really helps all the plants transition, <clears throat> especially if you're taking dirt plants and you're, you know, going to the nursery and getting potted plants and washing the, the dirt off the roots and then transplanting those in is like mature plants. Um, you can actually completely eliminate shock with seaweed extract um, to where mm-hmm. the plants typically will go in like a three day shock whenever you transplant them. Even in dirt, like in your backyard, you take that plant out of the pot, stick it in the ground. It's going to have some shock for a right. couple of days. The seaweed extract just gets rid of it,
0: um, and it's pretty wild. Yeah, That's good to know. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so you've you developed this product, but you've also um, worked all over the world, from what I recall hearing about you, that yeah. you've gone to different countries and done these kind of uh, – spoke kind of systems or set these up can you talk uh, more about a couple of experiences with that
1: yeah um i spent a year in india uh building rooftop gardens and um been to mexico lived in spain um all in an effort you know to help the local people grow food differently and more efficiently and less resource hogging you know Mm -hmm. um these gardens use up to 98 percent less water so you know two percent of the water um with higher yields and less uh footprint, you know, less space on the ground. So it's kind of a win all the way around in that regard. Uh India was a was a challenging environment, you know.
0: <laughs> um Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I know exactly you, yeah, I know exactly what you mean.
1: Where yeah. where were you at?
0: Um I was in the north um in Delhi and okay. then kind of stayed along that uh and left Uttar Pradesh and went to like uh, Jaipur and then across to Baranasi and then up through Sikkim province up in Darjeeling up there. And like, so I kind of stayed in that Northern swath uh, during my time.
1: Okay, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting place, you know. Um, India, I mean, it was just challenging on so many fronts. Um, it, it harnesses and like kind of sharpens all your skills, you know, um, and you really, you know, Trying to design, manufacture, start a business, market, learn the culture. 20 to 30% of the population spoke English where I was at using translators. I mean, uh, the team that I was working with that I went over there to work with unfortunately just fell off the earth when I got there. So, um, you know, at that time I basically sold everything and moved to India kind of blindly, just thinking like this is where I need to be right now. <laughs> and uh landed and nothing went to plan you know and uh you know when we were designing or manufacturing the first systems over there it was like they would say three to four days we'd have product and it would take three to four months you know and uh and so it was a challenge but we we got to do all these uh, environmental factors you know like the monsoons like growing mm-hmm. on solid rain which i i hadn't had that experience in texas you know Yeah. Um, the extreme heats which we do have in texas but like um doing it on rooftops rooftops are different because they magnify the heat you know like that heat reflects off the building and uh becomes a lot stronger um really got the battle test you know the technology and that type of stuff um but it was i mean it was a really cool experience and we had a couple of commercial systems available and uh different small scale systems available and uh it was it i it changed me as an entrepreneur and as a person as well you know in a lot mm-hmm. of different ways but um yeah India. i think most people might say india was a failure but i viewed it as a success because of all the stuff i learned right you know, and all the right. stuff i had to overcome that when i came back to the states it was like wow this is a this is easier than i remember
0: <laughs> yeah no kidding. i have a couple of questions around that um Were you in a area with a lot of pollution? Because I know, like, when I, for example, flew into Delhi Airport, it's in a valley, and so you're just like covered in it. Did you have to deal with that hurdle at all?
1: Oh, completely, (laughs) completely. Like, I lived in uh in Pune. Um, Pune is like the city that's surrounded by water. Like, it's got like a river system all the way around it. So it's like all these bridges that go into the main part of the city. Mm -hmm. And like, I'll never forget one day going to the office in a rickshaw. And sitting on this bridge you know in traffic i mean it's just it was just gridlock all the time right in india and there's no no laws no rules no anything on the road i mean everything goes and i see this little kid walking past me on the bridge and um he's carrying this trash bag that's bigger than he is and he's just dragging it and like where where's he going with that you know and we're sitting here i mean rickshaw's not moving just just watching him he's about 10 feet away he grabs that trash bag and starts dumping it over the side of the bridge into the river and shakes it all out and folds the bag up and walks back to where he came from you know and i looked at that and i was like you know he didn't just he wasn't born thinking that's where the trash goes like he was taught that you know and uh to answer your question yes there was a ton of pollution <laughs> and a ton of smog because they don't have any emissions regulations on their mm-hmm. you know rickshaws and those are two cycle engines and you're mm-hmm. just sitting there breathing pollution the whole time, like you're in traffic, and
0: did it affect you because you know like um it's got to affect the the rooftop gardens then mm-hmm. like it didn't you did did the, did the plants have trouble growing in an atmosphere like that? Did you have to take different measures into account or um no the the one thing I noticed when I went to India
1: um, was there's no no dirt in the cities like there's literally no soil, it's all concrete. Like they have paved everything they could pave, you know, and they call them unplanned cities over there where these Mm -hmm. things just pop up, you know. So, hey, tomorrow there's a building there and it wasn't there yesterday and it doesn't go through the city inspection and code and all this stuff. It literally just shows up, you know. Yeah. And so um, the first place I stayed in, we had a a terrace, like a a rooftop uh, that we could go out on. And when I went up there, that was the only soil in the city for me was the rooftops. It was the only place that I could actually put plants because every other piece of land, every square foot of it had concrete and had something on it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so for me, like that, I don't know. I mean, people have home gardens a little bit over there where I was, but like, I felt like we really were trying to bring this green space back into the city because it just didn't exist. Like, I took my dog to India and when we came back, she freaked out when she saw grass. I mean, she was like <laughs> rolling like I mean, she not seen grass in a long time. And you know, we had I made friends with this uh couple that were both pilots for one of the major uh airlines over there. And they had this giant bungalow in the city, which not everyone had access to, obviously. And they had, you know, about you know, a 10 by 20 area of grass. And like this was like six months into the venture. And she saw that grass and freaked out then too, but like grass and, and dirt that we're used to in the States just was not available over there, like in those cities. Um, and so, you know, I don't know that we had any issues with the plants and the pollution because obviously we weren't growing in the dirt. We were, you know, using mm-hmm. the fish and, some and all this stuff and recirculating and then plants have a natural filtering mechanism anyway. But the one thing I will say is, is, you know, that uh, detachment from the earth side of it it felt like you know being in that city right yeah that's crazy i actually read a statistic um that mumbai has the largest like you know the, the most dense population per capita mm-hmm. is uh seventy seven thousand people per square mile oh, that's
0: <laughs> yeah that's crazy
1: and i kind of halfway lived in uh in uh, not dubai excuse me yeah mumbai uh mumbai uh half the time you know So I went back to Mumbai and Pune, but it's just, it was nuts, you know? So that, that, that natural aspect and the, the nature, you know, the natural side of life was just not there, you know? And so I was trying to bring that in and kind of green space, the rooftops and, and have all that.
0: Cool. I, um, good question. You could answer this or not, or we can cut it out, but, um, do you have any thoughts on what happened in Sri Lanka with the organic? like you know it's it's kind of a um the the people the anti green people use it as a like look haha you should have you should use classical agriculture and they cuz they failed at it and now the people don't have enough food and don't you know i have my own thoughts on it but i was wondering well, what do you have any on sri lanka specifically yeah or
1: just organic farming in general
0: well what happened there specifically I
1: guess I'm not familiar. I haven't. Is this okay. something recent or?
0: It was the fact that the government mandated that they switch over to organic farming. Uh-huh. And in the did, they just switched over like that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they were having food shortages all over the place. And this is like right prior to the uh, mess.
1: The problem with stuff like that is if you're trying to tell someone who's a conventional farmer, Hey, now you have to go do this different method. It doesn't matter if it's organic or hydroponic or aquaponic or whatever it is. If they're not familiar with it, they're probably not going to be as successful as they were. Right. Right. And, and I think situations like that, that's a lot of what it is. Um, there are, there are certain things with organic farming that I believe could be done better you know uh to make uh, make it more efficient um you know people talk about why organic produce is more well, a lot of times is because they're out there manually pulling weeds for hours and hours and hours <laughs> instead of spraying it you know yeah and there's probably other ways to do that you know um you can lean on permaculture methods and like uh you know wood chip mulch beds and things uh to to deal with those you know and not every person farms the same you know um but my natural reaction would say that you're probably because you told a guy that knows how to do it one way to go do it another way overnight. That's probably why he wasn't successful, you know?
0: Yeah. I was also thinking permaculture because you're using those more natural methods. Um, they have bigger yields, but it takes a little bit longer to get there because you're converting yeah. over to a different way of doing things. And if you're then going to a place, uh, like we talked about earlier, where you just scorch the earth and you've had one crop there the whole time and there's no rotation, you have like nutrient depleted soil, and then you try to do this new method that your that's crop true. yields yeah. or, you know, you have to slowly kind of convert it over.
1: Well, yeah, uh, if you were if you were relying on outside sources prior and now you're relying on just what you have available, then it's not going to be there, right? That's why yeah. you had to bring in the outside source. So that's a very good point, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I guess we're lagging a little bit.
0: Uh, maybe. Here. Yeah, I can hear you. What were you gonna say?
1: There's a uh, there's a documentary that I watched years ago called uh, "Back to Eden." Did you mm-hmm. ever see that? Mm-mm, no. Um, this guy m- made these massive mulch beds, and he's up in Washington State, and basically he said that the, I mean, he does like 12 inch thick mulch beds, which they say, you know, you're not supposed to do because you get rotting and things like this. But, um, what he says is compounding interest that as that bottom layer is, you know, decaying and breaking down, like the top layer is there to keep feeding it interest. And so he just keeps piling on wood chips year after year after year. And, uh, he doesn't water his plants, you know, and like his plants, like the, the, the mulch stores all that nutrient and water and everything it needs inside of it. And He said, "Each year, his orchard, his apples get bigger and bigger and bigger, and you know, it's just from that mulch compounding down. And yeah. um, and his weeding is real easy too. He just literally goes out there and pulls it, and it just pulls right out because it's a mulch bed um, mm-hmm. as opposed to solid dirt that's really dense and compacted. You know, but I mean, just there's there's information out there, you know, and um, it's like anything else. Like if you want to go eat a vegan diet, there's right and wrong ways to do that, you know, and right. um." organic farming all organic farming isn't the same and you know one thing i try and tell people is organic in the states really only guarantees you that it's non-gmo like it doesn't guarantee you that it's any more nutrient dense um if we take a seed and we throw it on concrete and we water it and it sprouts that's organic because we didn't put anything else on that seed we Mm -hmm. just watered it you know But it doesn't mean it grew in dirt. It doesn't mean it had nutrients. It doesn't mean that it had the proper lighting. It doesn't mean it had any of that stuff. Um, And so organic isn't always like just a a safe thing to to go for. Um, And organic crops that are grown downhill from conventional farms. Well, guess what? When it rains, all those chemicals run off the conventional farm down on your organic crops. And then now you're eating organic food that was grown organically with all the time and effort, but it's got
0: the chemicals from the neighbors, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you can't even protect it because of the other farms. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh. So, John, then I want to get into huh, the world we live in. You know? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um, so I wanted to get into uh, what you said you started this 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. What made you even get into this in the first place? Um. So,
1: I had actually gotten sick and uh, I couldn't walk for like seven years. I was disabled. Um, and I created the very first lettuce of all, you know, vertical garden to save my life, so that I could grow fresh food and heal my body. That was like my initial intention with all of this. What was wrong um, with that?
0: What, do you know what the, the doctor say what it was?
1: So, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where no one could ever give me a proper answer. But essentially, I had uh, adrenal exhaustion. I was working around the clock and not sleeping, and uh, my body shut down on me. Um, And I was young. I I was 23 years old when that happened. Wow. And uh, I went to, you know, being able to do whatever I want and being invincible, if I like, to being a vegetable. So.
0: So like, from being a vegetable to making vegetables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And the
1: and the irony is is I didn't eat fruits and vegetables back then, which probably didn't help, you know, what I was doing. And I mean I know it didn't help, but uh I actually went fully plant-based for about 18 months after that happened because I got uh so uh enzyme deficient that I couldn't d- digest meat and uh, things anymore. So I had to just solely rely on plants and Um, that was a, you know, transition to go from not eating any of that to that's all I ate. And now I'm growing my own food and, um, all that stuff. But, you know, I, I had to, uh, I developed symptoms of hypoglycemia. So I was eating like 12 to 15 meals a day. Um, and every 45 minutes at my worst, which was extremely exhausting. I mean, I felt like I had like 10 Thanksgiving dinners a day because I just it was eating constantly to get my body to stabilize and that cost a lot of money and then you know being self-employed and so like who's going to pay the bills while I'm sick so um, I had to figure out a way to solve that problem and I had played around with some indoor gardening systems a couple of years before even though I didn't like fruits and vegetables but like during the the 2008 you know economic situation i was like i'm gonna have vegetables in the house (laughs) in case things fall apart (laughs) yeah Yeah. and and, and i was like i will eat a bell pepper you know but i i didn't like them right yeah and uh (laughs) and so i i explored with it and experimented and then when i got sick i was like well wait a second you know i've already played with this a little bit you know um and then it it you know, this idea popped in my head of how to build that standalone garden that had the, the tank built into it. And it was very small footprint and it went vertical. So you got the most amount of space with the most amount of plants. And, and that's where I went with it. Cause traditional hydroponic systems, it's, you've got a separate tank and you've got a separate growing area and in your apartment in the middle of the city, it just takes up a lot of room to do that. And typically it was, you know, really expensive and really cumbersome, you know, trying to put that on the back porch, which is hard
0: to do. So mm-hmm. what is the yield of your system? Like how much, I'm just going to get out of it for fruits and veg. So uh, the base model we call it,
1: which is the, the Helix 100. Um, it holds up to hundred plants in a six and a half square foot area. Um, and that's, you know, herbs and lettuces and um, you can grow peppers and tomatoes in it. But if you have bigger plants and they take up more space, um, but that's, That's the base one. So we've got, uh, we have a 25 plant model, which is just like a one pot system. Uh, That one we grow fruit trees in actually. And I put um, the very first one of those that I developed on the Helix 25 model. I put a mandarin tree and a lime tree inside of it. And the mandarin tree ended up having about 40 to 50 oranges on it. And then the lime tree had about 60 limes on it. And they were all in that six and a half square foot, uh a six and a half square foot uh footprint in my apartment. And um I had all that fruit growing right here in the living room in Dallas, <laughs> like wow, all being powered by fish. And so it was a pretty cool feat, you know? Yeah,
0: that's amazing. that's awesome. How long does it take to grow a fruit tree? Um, do you do I'm where do you grow it from scratch or do you grow it from like from the seed or so for
1: that model, I just went and I went to a local nursery and I bought uh, two trees that, um, you know, they're container ready. And typically the, the tree's got to be either grafted or cloned from a, a mature tree. Sometimes it's like four years that the, the tree won't bear fruit for that long. So I went and bought one that didn't have any fruit on it. And within two months, my trees were loaded down with fruit, you know. Wow. <laughs> and then it took about i didn't i didn't pay attention fully i was just amazed that i had all this fruit growing in my living room you know but it was anywhere from like six weeks to two months for the fruit to be ready to eat typically once it like fruited you know and uh mind you i don't have any bees in the house right so like you get all these flowers and you've got to go through and you got to pollinate the flowers by hand mm-hmm. and you got this like insane aroma coming off of like i mean just this super fruity like if you ever had a uh Blossom honey, like, you know, honey that has uh, orange blossoms or something like that. I mean, it's exactly what it smelled like, you know, and so I go through and I pollinate all these flowers and I got all this fruit growing off the trees. Um, I ended up getting about three crops off of the those trees over the course of 12 months. So they just kept fruiting because they were inside instead of outside. They're triggered by the temperature, you know and uh so that was a pretty cool experience so they just kept popping out fruit like whenever we would harvest they put out more flowers and then they would produce more fruit
0: (laughs) wow so how long did it take you to become mobile again then after you start after you changed your diet um it was
1: just a on and off process of like like i said accumulated like seven years of like being disabled um i would have like some progress made and then you know backtrack and i mean there's a lot of backtracking it seemed like like i had to relearn how to walk a couple different times and um it was just grueling and i was you know i was sick and i was self-employed and that's just a really bad combination of like trying to be an entrepreneur and follow a dream and not being able to you know stand on your own <laughs> like it was a challenge you know but yeah. that that helped inspire me to keep going and to keep moving forward and um I ended up moving a lot because of you know financial constraints and and me being able to work and live and um you know a lot of doors would open up but then they would close really fast so that would require me to move again and uh i ended up moving like 33 times in 6 years or something yeah it was wow. absolutely insane so imagine trying to rest and heal while not having a stable foundation while also trying to develop a, a dream and keep moving you know
0: so did you speak i'm like the ultra minimalist where you just started you moved like six times and you're like okay maybe i better shed some of my possessions yeah absolutely know? yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that happened the first move i think you know yeah <laughs> but yeah. I, you know because of my my food stuff like the way i had to eat all the time i i probably had more food on me than i had personal items you know yeah. <laughs> because that's what was important because i had to worry about my next meal you know because you know
0: you got to eat every couple hours so you didn't have any little helpers helping you like build this thing in the beginning or were you just kind of dragging yourself around and yeah well the,
1: the the very first models like it would literally take me weeks to develop the little prototypes because i had to like crawl into my spare bedroom to like glue parts together and cut things and i would just get exhausted so fast and uh you know i mean i was an athlete like i was a sprinter and i ran a 4-4 in the 40 when i was in high school you know yeah. And, yeah i mean i was i power lifted i i did you know i was strong and able and then i went from that to now i'm having to crawl over there to you know glue a couple of pvc pipes together and build a garden you know yeah i i mean it's yeah it took a lot it took a lot
0: <laughs> yeah it does sound exhausting yeah so okay have you seen any other effects? um on your gardens on other people's health in general because i know a lot of people add a lot of supplements they add a lot of different things to their diet but like at the end of the day you get like the supplements or nutrients you get from your food and you think this would you say the type of supplements or like you know excess of supplements craze is due to the fact that people are eating less nutritious food and that this could help rebalance some of that
1: yeah, I mean that's the idea is that you're if you're if you're already sick, which most people in the States are depleted of something, you know, because we overwork and underrest and undernourish. But if you're trying to eat food that's sick to heal you that's sick, um, it's just a perpetual cycle of, of sickness, right? And, and and not feeling well. And so the idea is is to replenish and get back to that state. And um, I believe there's a lot of power and uh, healing that goes into growing your own food, to paying attention to it, seeing the effort that it takes and the way that it tastes and the reward, all that stuff, the payoff of, of actually doing that um, isn't just the same as, oh, well, this store has lettuce for this price, you know. It's just not the same input and output and, and uh, from like a, a physical, mental, and, and spiritual level, you know, yeah. as far as reconnecting with that, that whole process of like, this is responsibility over being alive, you know?
0: Yeah. No, obviously what you went through is uh, a transformative experiences on both ends, a transformative experience of when you lost your ability to walk and then another transformative experience of going through this and regaining everything and that whole process of really nurturing yourself by nurturing what you put in your body
1: yeah and it and it happened multiple times unfortunately i mean it was it was uh it was it was excruciating i mean it was just not a fun experience but um i mean i came out the other end you know (laughs) and uh it it taught me a lot and i believe that you know it made me ready for things like india um, which i was still sick while i was in india you know i was still healing from things i was still like Hmm for six months walking around in india without you know a vehicle um that was exhausting for me like it took me a long time to get used to we walk everywhere because we don't do that in the states right (laughs) we drive at least not in Texas. but uh, yeah so it's you know um and some days i miss that you know because i don't walk as much now as i did in india you know i mean we used to walk you know five miles to one place in india
0: I had a question of what you think because I, I've seen different solutions and you obviously created something that people can do inside their own apartment in an, or in an urban setting. Um, now I've had conversations with friends about this. They're like, well, some places it'll be different for each uh, group of people. Some people will want to have their thing inside their own home. Some people will want to do the rooftop where they have a whole building shares on the growing efforts and they kind of should do the whole kind of community thing on their building. um but you know, with the way supply chains are going right now, especially with the war in Ukraine um, and troubles in China, um, the classic fertilizers aren't really going to get to people. Uh, we even saw some of this during COVID, when uh, fertilizer uh, exports and imports got cut off to Ethiopia, and they and they had a large like locust swarm, it took out half their crops, and then they couldn't regrow them. Self um, is projecting. Um, 350 million people uh, is, are going to be in their wording here, obviously, because who else would say it like this acute food insecurity um, coming up and they're guessing their guy. know I love the UN um, and they're They're guessing out of that 40 million, 50 million will die of starvation uh, wow. coming up uh, because next year's harvest just isn't there. Wow. Uh, because of all this, you know, a bunch of different events so you know at you know an oya one of the things that we think is that hey listen eventually everybody's going to have to have a garden inside of their apartment or buildings will come with some type of garden in their apartment uh, or in their house or whatever just become just like a refrigerator would yeah that you everybody gets and it's going to be necessary because we're, we're not going to be able to depend on these global supply chains that we've depend on that we've depended on for the, so long um, you know, what, what do you think about that?
1: I completely agree. Um, and, uh, there's actually a a minute or so in that documentary I did where I talk about that, that, um, my belief for a long time has been that an indoor garden is going to become a household appliance. When you go walk an apartment or buy a home, you're going to look at the fridge and you're gonna look at the microwave or whatever you do, your stove, your sink, and you're going to say, well, the garden's in here too. There's going to be some type of, growing apparatus that allows you to have some sort of fresh food on site. Um, Something like 80% of the world's population is moving into the cities and leaving the rural areas. Um, And because of that, we're, we're losing that connection with fresh food, you know, and um, it's something we don't have anymore because the land isn't here and the time and, you know, the, the, you know, the value of it of having that fresh food again. But, um, I I do believe in the future it will be in every home. Absolutely. And, uh, I've been saying that for over a decade, you know, um, and I, and we're getting closer, you know, we're getting closer. Um, there are a ton of companies that have popped up that are doing these little, you know, standalone gardens or tabletop Mm -hmm. gardens and things. Um, whether or not they work, it's a different story. You know, um, a lot of times you get these industrial designers that go to school and, say hey we could put plants on a table you know and and then it doesn't work and or they're just very uh aesthetically pleasing you know and that's something you'd asked me earlier about like what makes our garden different is i believe the functionality like there's not a system out there that has the capacity that ours has um which does factor into cost as well you know with our system that we are more expensive than a lot of these other systems but when you look at the materials that we use, uh, that it's rated at 20 years in full sun with all the elements. Um, if you harvested a thousand dollars a year off of that garden, which is mm-hmm. what, 80 bucks a month, you know, ish, um, which is very low. That's a very conservative number. You would get more than that. You know, if you used it, uh, daily, then, you know, over 20 years, I was $20,000 worth of food plus your health and your sanity and all these other things that go into it. I mean, it, it definitely makes sense at the end of the day but yeah, um, that's, you know, that's my thing is with these systems. Like I had a need, I needed to produce food out of it. I didn't need it to look pretty. Like I, I, I needed it to be functional and to really offset my grocery bill, um, and to nourish my cells and bring my body back online so that I could rehabilitate and, and, and be here. <laughs> and maybe because of that, that's why our system is different than all the other ones. Um, And uh, but I I don't know, I just the whole the whole movement is good, you know, regardless of what other companies have come after or coming up now and doing things. They're helping educate our future customers and and society as a whole that we need this. And this needs to be something that you see and recognize. Um, We did a show at the uh, what was it called? It was a organic exposition here in dallas uh, a few years back and i was amazed that probably 50 percent of the people that walked by our booth said oh is this aquaponics you know because Mm -hmm. a couple years before that they had no idea what it was you know and then the next year it was like more and more people and then more people now see the system and say is it aquaponic is it this is it that you know does it have these type of rocks in it does it you know so Somebody out there along with us is educating the public of what this stuff is and why it's important. And, uh, you know, my philosophy is make it cool, make them buy into the look of it first, and then they'll want to use it because it's neat, and then subconsciously learn and evolve from that, and then they're helping themselves out and helping humanity out as a whole.
0: Great. And the name of the company is Let Us Evolve. Let Us Evolve. Uh, Great name. Uh where can people find you website socials anything like that?
1: Yeah, so it's lettuce like the vegetable uh evolve.com and then lettuce evolve uh on all the socials, Instagram and stuff like that.
0: Okay. Great. And there was a double
1: e in the middle which everyone always asks. <laughs>